What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I'm your host, JT. We got a really exciting episode today. Training camp updates. Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield have been struggling in training camp so far. We got to talk about it. Stillers training camp updates, everything you need to know about what's going on during training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm going to be giving you guys my biggest sleeper team heading into the upcoming NFL season. And we're going to be analyzing Notre Dame ceiling. What is the ceiling for Notre Dame? Could they be a playoff team? Could they be a national championship contender? How good could Notre Dame possibly be this year if everything goes right? Before we get into it, if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe to the channel. Leave a like on the video. We go live every day, Monday through Friday, around 5 p.m. Eastern time. Listen to the audio version of the JT Sports Podcast. We're not just available on YouTube. You can find us on all podcasting platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you leave us with a five-star review. We're trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before the start of the NFL and college football seasons. Go ahead, give us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All you got to do is type in the JT Sports Podcast and it will pop up. Or you can go to the description down below, scroll down a little bit, and there will be the links to the Apple and Spotify versions of the podcast. What rookies have been the most impressive so far throughout training camp? Let's start off talking about Bryce Young, man. This dude has been an absolute baller. He's been as good as advertised. He's been poised in the pocket, really accurate, distributing the football. His processing ability has really stood out. If you see any training camp, any training camp clips about Bryce Young coming out, you normally see him getting the ball out really fast. It's like this dude is a computer. You ever played against the AI offense in Madden and the AI quarterback for some reason just seems to have eyes in the back of their head? It only takes them three seconds to find the open wide receiver. That's Bryce Young. This dude kind of has like an AI programming chip in his brain. He just seems to know where everybody is at at the right moment. And there was a reason why Frank Wright and the Carolina Panthers organization felt comfortable naming him the starter on opening day of training camp. They wouldn't have named him the starting quarterback this early if they didn't have a lot of confidence, if he wasn't able to prove that he has a good grasp on the offense. He's been the most impressive rookie quarterback in training camp up to this point. He's been better than C.J. Stroud, better than Anthony Richardson. He did have a little bit of a turnover bug. There was a stretch where he went five consecutive days with the interception, but he didn't have any multiple interception days or any that have been reported. He's been fantastic with developing good chemistry with his teammates. He already has earned the leadership. Well, he's already gained the respect of the locker room. He is already viewed as a leader, and the season hasn't even started yet. So these are all really positive things that have been said about Bryce Young up to this point in training camp. Zay Flowers, at wide receiver, 
probably is the best wideout that the Ravens have in training camp right now. Yes, they do have OBJ. Rashad Bateman is going to get fully healthy. But if you were to ask any Ravens fan who's been in attendance at training camp, Zay Flowers has been the most impressive wideout there. His route running has been fantastic. This dude has been riding up every single cornerback that he's been matched up against he has great hands but the biggest thing about zay flowers that has stuck out the most is how great he is after the catch they call him joystick which is his new nickname because once he gets into the open field he's like a pinball he's boom 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 he puts his foot in the ground hits you with a couple of moves and then he's off to the races he was my number one ranked receiver coming out of the draft class. He reminds me a lot of Antonio Brown. He has great hands. He has the ability to play not just outside wide out, but he also can play inside of the slot. He's really good releasing off the line. I don't really see too many defenders jam him up at the line of scrimmage. Zay Flowers is the complete package at wide receiver. He is undersized. He's only 5'9", 180-something pounds, but he's one of those wide receivers that plays bigger than what you see on paper. On paper, you see 5'9", 182 pounds, but in person, he plays like he's 6'3", 210. He can do everything. He has good hands. He also has good body control in the air when it comes to making some of these 50-50 ball catches. Even though winning 50-50 balls isn't his strong suit, he does have the ability to go up and get a couple of contested catches here and there. Zay Flowers has been the most outstanding rookie throughout training camp so far out of all of the rookie wide receivers. B. John Robinson, if you've been on Twitter or social media, you had to see at least one B. John Robinson clip. This dude has been going viral. He's been trending on Twitter for the last couple of days. He's been lining up at wideout. He's been routing up not just linebackers, but cornerbacks also. He's been dynamic with the ball in his hands. Anything that you need B. John Robinson to do, he can do. You want him to go out and play wide receiver, he can do that. You want to line him up in the slot, he can do that as well. And also, he's a very effective running back. He has had some really great runs throughout training camp for the Atlanta Falcons. I was telling people that B. John Robinson was a different breed. This isn't your normal running back. This is the definition of a weapon. And if these running backs want to start getting paid and demanding hefty salaries, they got to be more versatile. Catching the football out of the backfield and being a great running back isn't going to cut it anymore. You got to be able to be a big asset in the passing game. And that's what B. John Robinson has been for the Atlanta Falcons in training camp. Yes, he's a credible running back, but he's just as good as a wide receiver as he is a running back. And we've seen that on full display throughout training camp for the Falcons up to this point. Jalen Hemothy Carter, man. The Philadelphia Eagles have done a fantastic job at drafting players in the draft over the last couple of years, and they got a lot of Bulldogs on their roster. And Jalen Carter, he's been looking like a Bulldog so far for the Philadelphia Eagles in training camp, man. This dude is a freak. Teammates have raved about his quickness, his 
great blend of athleticism but also power this dude is a wolverine he's a mutant he's not human at 300 and something pounds with the kind of athleticism that Jalen carter has it should be illegal for him to even be able to play in the nfl man and he's been making a lot of noise throughout training camp for philadelphia he's been having some really good reps against the opposing offensive linemen and 1v1s he recently was credited with a sack against Jalen Hurts um, on one of the opening days of training camp. Jalen Carter has been as good as advertised. And the thing with Jalen Carter is that most people felt that he was going to be really good. The chances of him being a bust are pretty low compared to some of the other defensive prospects who were drafted in the first round along with them. But you wonder if the character issues are going to hinder him from being able to reach his potential. So far throughout training camp, there haven't been any personal issues with Jalen Carter. He's been showing up to training camp. He's been putting in a lot of work. He's been putting in the time and dedication that it takes to be a pro. He's around a lot of great veterans in that locker room. Jalen Carter, I think he's going to be the next great pass rushing defensive tackle that we have in the league. You don't really find a lot of them, which is why Jalen Carter was regarded in such a high light. Even though you had the character issues, there was still a chance that he possibly could have went in the top five just off talent alone. So if you take away the character issues, this is somebody who was one of the most talented defensive prospects to come out of a draft and recent memory. We talk about generational quarterbacks, but people act like quarterbacks are the only generational prospects who can come out. You can also have generational prospects on the defense side of the football. And Jalen Carter is one of those guys that you're not going to see come around too often. He's been really impressive so far throughout training camp for the Philadelphia Eagles, but he hasn't been the most impressive rookie that the Eagles have. Nolan Smith has been. If you talk to anybody in attendance at Philadelphia Eagles training camp, everybody's going to say the man of the hour has been pass rusher Nolan Smith out of Georgia. This dude was a freak athlete coming out of UGA. He ran a 4-3-9-40 in the 40-yard dash a couple of months ago at the NFL Combine. And what has been the most impressive thing about Nolan Smith so far? His quick burst off the line, his explosiveness, his acceleration. This dude has been wrecking havoc for the Philadelphia Eagles defense all throughout training camp. Every time I look up Philadelphia Eagles training camp takeaways and news, they're always glowing reviews about Nolan Smith every single practice man this dude looks like a metahuman he destroyed the tight end that was trying to block him pretty much put him on his you know what he also has been moved around on the defense he's been playing a little bit of off-ball linebacker defensive end he's been just doing a lot of different stuff on this Philadelphia Eagles defense and I think that he's going to have a really good rookie season and Nolan Smith was viewed as a developmental project. He was one of those players that has a lot of athleticism and a lot of high upside, but he needs to improve on a good amount of things. So far, though, it looks like Nolan Smith could 
come and start right away for the Philadelphia Eagles week one this year and he could dominate right out the gate with all of the great things that we've been hearing coming out about Nolan Smith and when I've seen a couple of clips circulating around about what he's been doing in training camp rather if it's just him practicing with the dummies or doing 1v1s he's been very impressive in all of those clips Joey Porter Jr. for the Pittsburgh Steelers has been one of the most impressive players all throughout training camp. We already have seen what George Pickens has been doing, and George Pickens has kind of been picking on the rookie Joey Porter Jr., but Joey Porter has also came up a couple of times on George Pickens and has made some plays and coverage against them. It hasn't just been a one-sided equation, Joey Porter he was one of the better cornerbacks coming out of this past year's draft. And the Pittsburgh Steelers drafted him with their first pick in the second round. He's the son of former Steeler great linebacker, Jory Porter. And what stands out about Jory Porter the most is his physicality. And he's been insanely physical in training camp. And Mike Tomlin has been pitting him and George Pickens against each other. And these 1v1 drills for a reason. You got... George Pickens, one of the most physical wide receivers in the NFL going against Jory Porter, an ultra-aggressive and physical press man-to-man corner. This is the kind of matchup that you live for if you're Mike Tomlin. You got young stud on young stud. And although George Pickens has gotten the better of Jory Porter Jr., he's also came up big in some of their matchups. And he also has made some really big plays in 11-on-11. He had an interception on Kenny Pickett in the two-minute drill. He also caught two interceptions and one practice last Thursday. He's a quick learner. Mike Tomlin says that he's been really good when it comes to picking up the playbook. He's been putting in the time. He's been putting in the work. And I expect him to not just be a day-one starter for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but to be an impact player for this Steelers defense this year. Been really good. When it comes to how Jory Porter has been talked about amongst players and coaches in the Steelers organization. Dalton Kincaid. Normally, tight ends don't have great rookie seasons because the tight end position is a really nuanced position. It takes a lot to be a great tight end in the league. Not only do you have to be a really great route runner and learn the route tree, but you also have to learn the pass protections and the run blocking assignments that are given the tight ends. Don Kincaid, though, he's been picking up on everything really fast, and he's been one of the most discussed players coming out of training camp for the Buffalo Bills. And we keep asking who's going to step up and be that second wide receiver in this offense behind Stephon Diggs. It might be Dawn Kincaid. He may be the second option in this passing game. And like I said earlier, rookie tight ends normally don't have a lot of success or they don't hit the ground running in their rookie seasons. But Dawn Kincaid, he may be in store for a Kyle Pitts kind of rookie season. They've been moving him around on the offense, not just to see playing tight end, but he also has been moved out wide. And there's been a lot of comparisons made from Dawn Kincaid to Travis Kelsey. 
He has a little bit of Travis Kelsey in his game. He's really solid and efficient when it comes to running routes and getting open and creating separation. He has soft hands, so he doesn't really drop too many passes. He was really good playing for Utah last season. And the Buffalo Bills, it looks like they're going to be relying on him a lot this year and this offense to take some pressure off of Stephon Diggs in the passing game. People wanted the Buffalo Bills to target DeAndre Hopkins or another elite wide out the pair alongside of Stephon Diggs. But instead of coming away with another great wide receiver, they might have ended up striking gold and coming away with another great tight end. Anytime you have a great tight end in your offense, it changes so much for you. Because having to defend against a elite tight end, if you're opposing defense, makes you have to do a lot of things defensively that kind of put you at a disadvantage if you can move a tight end out wide and he can still get open against defensive backs it's a mismatch because most defensive backs aren't physical enough to be able to cover these tight ends and then after the catch they can be a problem as well because there's not too many defensive backs who are really good tacklers in this day and age of football Don Kincaid it looks like he's going to have a really big role in this Buffalo Bills offense Jackson Smith Nijigba, this dude was one of my favorite prospects coming out of this past year's draft, and he's been sensational for the Seattle Seahawks. As a matter of fact, if you go on social media, you're most likely are going to see more Jackson Smith Nijigba clips coming out than you're going to see any other player. He's been the best wide receiver for Seattle so far, at least the most talked about wide receiver for Seattle. He's been Geno Smith's go-to target. And this dude has been a handful for Seattle cornerbacks to be able to handle, man. He made Kobe Bryant touch the ground, pick up a little bit of grass in the process on his way up. Jackson Smith, Najigba, man. JSN, He's just an all-around great receiver. He doesn't have the explosiveness and the athleticism that Zay Flowers has, but this dude is the definition of a technician at the slot receiver position. He reminds me a lot of Keenan Allen. He's not a dynamic athlete, but what does Keenan Allen have that makes him a great receiver? Great hands, great route running, and a high football IQ. And those are all things that JSN has in common with Keenan Allen, which is why my comp for him was Keenan when he was coming out of Ohio State. Looking forward to seeing what JSN does in the regular season for the Seahawks this year, because so far in training camp, he's been unstoppable, and there isn't too many defensive backs who have been able to guard him in 1v1s. Cornerback Christian Gonzalez, man, he's been really hyped up ever since the NFL combine when he had that insane performance there. He has great size. He also has quick change of direction, great hips, which is something that you normally don't see a lot coming from somebody who has this kind of size and these measurables. And the fact that the New England Patriots were able to draft him at the position that they were at was a big steal for them because there were many people who considered Christian Gonzalez to be a top 10 pick. The New England Patriots are banking on Christian Gonzalez having a big season. And so far, he's having a really good camp. There has been a lot of matchups between him and Devontae Parker. He's been on the winning end of those 1v1 battles. 
the majority of times, which is expected. Devontae Parker isn't really that good when it comes to creating separation. So you would expect for Christian Gonzalez to be able to hold his own against them. I think him, Jory Porter, and the next dude that I have are going to end up being in competition to be two of the better rookie cornerbacks in the NFL. It's either going to be Christian Gonzalez and Jory Porter, or Christian Gonzalez and Devon Witherspoon, or Christian Gonzalez and maybe the next guy that I have on this list being in competition for the right to be the best rookie corner in the NFL this year. I think he's either going to be the best or the second best, depending on how this season goes for the New England Patriots. You're looking at a guy who's going to be able to go toe-to-toe against a Stephon Diggs and be able to limit him with how athletic he is, how good and man coverage he is. He's also really physical on the line. I don't think there's anything that Christian Gonzalez can't do that Bill Belichick's going to be asking from him in this defense. He's been lights out in training camp for the New England Patriots, and you probably could call him a shutdown corner just based on what we've been hearing coming out of Foxborough concerning Christian Gonzalez's performance and camp for the Patriots. Emmanuel Forbes is the last player that I have. I haven't really been seeing a lot of great things said about Emmanuel Forbes outside of Washington Commanders fans raving about him and it's not because he is overrated or he's not that good it's because it's the Washington Commanders and nobody's really expecting the Commanders to be all that great Emmanuel Forbes though if you look at the Commanders training camp reports he's been holding his own against Terry McLaurin Jahan Dotson Emmanuel Forbes was one of the better coverage cornerbacks coming out of this past year's draft. The issue with him is that he came in at 166 pounds. Well, word on the street is that he's nearing 180 or he has a goal of trying to get to 180 something pounds before the season begins he weighs way more now than what he did when he was weighed in at the nfl combine so he's bulking up he's gaining weight and he's been as good as advertised he was viewed as a reach when the washington commanders drafted him and there weren't too many people that had a first-round grade on Emmanuel Forbes. But if you go and you look at the film that he had coming out of Mississippi State, he was very good in coverage, has very good technique, fundamentals. This is somebody who could come in and kind of be what Tyreek Woolen was last year, even though he was a first-round pick. And the reason why I feel like he could be what Tyreek Woolen was this season is because nobody saw Tyreek Woolen having the kind of rookie season that he had. Emmanuel Forbes, nobody's really talking him, talking about him in terms of the other great rookie cornerbacks like Devon Witherspoon, Christian Gonzalez, and Jory Porter Jr. You know about those guys. All those guys have been getting a lot of praise. But Emmanuel Forbes, you got to give this man some, some flowers for what he's been doing for the commanders up to this point in camp, man. He's been holding his own against Scary Terry. He's been really good against the other wideouts that he's been matched up against. We got to give Emmanuel Forbes his flowers. So these are my most impressive rookies who've been showing out at training camp so far. Let me know if there are some rookies that I left off of this list. What are some rookies that have been really impressing you so far in training camp? Let me know down in the comment section down below. 
Have you been keeping up with training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Because if you haven't, I'm here to give you the latest updates when it comes to Pittsburgh Steelers training camp. And first of all, we got to talk about George Pickens, man. This dude has been the MVP of training camp for the Steelers. He's been embarrassing every single defender that he's been matched up against, including star rookie Jory Porter Jr. And although Jory Porter Jr. has gotten the better of George Pickens on a couple of occasions, George Pickens has pretty much been picking on Jory Porter Jr. all training camp. If Mike Tomlin has been intentionally pitting Jory Porter Jr. and George Pickens against each other and these 1v1 drills, especially when it comes to them running routes against each other or George Pickens having to run routes against Jory Porter Jr., you got to remember that Jory Porter Jr. was one of the most physical cornerbacks coming out of this past year's draft, man. Very good in man coverage, very good in press coverage, and you pair him against George Pickens, who is very physical in his own right, has great size and incredible physicality. This was one of the most anticipated matchups that I've been waiting for all offseason prior to training camp starting, and I haven't been disappointed. You expect George Pickens to be getting the most of Jory Porter Jr. because he's a rookie. George Pickens is going into year two. He's been making hella contested catches. The knock on him has been that he hasn't been creating a lot of separation, but George Pickens wasn't known for his route running coming out, and he wasn't known for being a elite separator, and that's not what Pittsburgh needs him to be. Pittsburgh just needs him to be able to catch those contested passes and make a lot of big plays in the vertical passing game downfield. If you're looking for somebody who's going to be a lead at creating separation and running phenomenal routes, look at Deontay Johnson for that. That's what they have him for. George Pickens has been a superstar so far for the Steelers in training camp, and he pretty much has given a lot of people a lot of ammunition to why he's going to end up being one of the better wide receivers in the NFL this year and why everybody has them or has George Pickens on their breakout candidates list, man. This dude has been a man amongst boys in training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and he's been the best player who's been making the most noise in training camp so far for Pittsburgh. The offense outside of George Pickens has been... Pretty solid. Kenny Pickett and his second season under Matt Canada has made some pretty big strides. Now, Kenny Pickett hasn't been dominating, but he hasn't been bad. He's been pretty good, as a matter of fact. He looks more comfortable in the pocket. There are people who are saying that he has more command over the offense. He's more confident. And the wide receivers that he's been thrown to have also helped him look really good. Allen Robinson has been making a lot of big plays. Calvin Austin in his second season has been really good as well. And Calvin Austin is somebody who we got to give the award to most underrated performer in camp so far. He's made a couple of big plays, some of them coming against rookie corner Jory Porter Jr. Calvin Austin, he probably won't start over Allen Robinson. There is a position battle for the starting slot receiver job. Allen Robinson probably has that on lock. But Calvin Austin is somebody who probably is going to be involved on jet sweeps, 
Maybe he can get the ball on some trick plays, screen passes in the open field. Calvin Austin is, even though he's undersized, he's really good after the catch. He's really nimble, has really explosive acceleration. He can go from zero to 100 in the snap of a finger. So Calvin Austin has been really good so far for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think he's been the most underrated performer in all the training camp for the Steelers. But what about this offensive line, though? That's been the biggest question about the Steelers going into this season. And I got some bad news for you guys, man. This offensive line hasn't really been having a great day against the defensive line, man. They didn't really have a good day against the defensive line in the past practice that they just had. And overall, throughout the majority of training camp, the defensive line has gotten the better of this offensive line. And in particularly, the edge rushers against the offensive tackles, man. TJ Watt, rookie Nick Herberg, Alex Highsmith have been absolutely outstanding in training camp for the Steelers, especially Alex Highsmith. And it's a little surprising because Alex Highsmith just signed a really lucrative extension. But it's like Alex Highsmith has a chip on his shoulder. He has something to prove. I guess he feels like everybody's paying all this attention to TJ Watt, but nobody's talking about the fact that I had 14 sacks last season. Alex Highsmith has been phenomenal. And when it comes to these offensive tackles, man, Broderick Jones, rookie out of Georgia, the Steelers' first round pick from this past year's draft, he doesn't look ready to start. And I'm not concerned about it i'm just a little bit disappointed because i was hoping that maybe broderick jones was getting a little bit over criticized and over critiqued you know there are players that come out of you know there are players that come out of the draft every year that are really good but they just get nitpicked to hell and they get over criticized and then they turn out being really good day one but broderick jones though he kind of has been what you expected Really athletic, a mauler in the run game, but pass protection has been really shaky. And not just Broderick Jones, but Dan Moore, he hasn't really looked good. There were some people saying that he has improved, but judging from the majority of articles that I've read, he hasn't been all that better neither. And when it comes to who's going to end up starting at left tackle, it's going to take the preseason and probably then some to decide who's going to end up starting their week one against the 49ers because it doesn't look like there's any separation being created at all. And the other right tackle position with Chuck Sakura for, he kind of has struggled a little bit as well. The offensive guards haven't struggled as much as the offensive tackles, but the defensive line has gotten the better of them as well. And guys on the defensive line who have really been making their presence felt you already know about Cam Hayward, but do you know about Martravius Adams, rookie Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin, Isaiah Loudermilk? There is a lot of talent on this Steelers defensive line. And the sad thing about this is that one of these guys may not end up making the roster. There's going to be one player that ends up not making this team that's going to be picked up by another team, and he's going to be a great addition. Now, I don't know who's going to end up getting cut, who's not going to make this team. I'm not somebody who does 53-man roster projections or predictions, but 
all of these defensive linemen on the interior have looked very impressive. And this offensive lineman, they've been getting beasted and feasted on throughout the majority of training camp up to this point for the Steelers. Now, I don't think this means that the offensive line hasn't improved at all. I think that this means more that the Steelers' defensive line is one of the best in the NFL. And people seem to forget that the Steelers have always had one of the NFL's best offense, one of the NFL's best defensive lines for over the last couple of years. So I'm kind of not surprised. I'm just a little bit let down because even though you know that you're going up against a really good defensive line, you will hope that there will be more instances of this offensive line being able to show a little bit more fight against the defensive line. You don't really want to hear your defensive line just completely overpowering your offensive line the majority of days that you have training camp. You would like to have the offensive line having a good stretch or a couple of days where they're kind of imposing their will on the defensive line. So it kind of makes it hard to evaluate just how much the offensive line has improved because you don't know if the offensive line is still a problem or if the defensive line is just that freaking good. And the problem with this situation is that we already know that the defensive line is just that good, but you're wondering if the offensive line is going to take some jumps in improvement compared to how they perform over the last couple of years. So it's kind of hard to tell that when you have the defensive line and all these players stepping up, making their presence felt. And another issue that still lingers for the Pittsburgh Steelers has been the fact that Pass coverage from the linebacker position pretty much is still a big concern. Last year, you couldn't get any solid pass coverage out of Miles Jack and whoever else you had back there at linebacker. And the same thing can be said about the group of linebackers that you have on your roster right now. Cole Holcomb, you recently signed. Quan Alexander. All the linebackers have pretty much been getting cooked by the running backs and 1v1 pass coverage drills, man. And Landon Roberts, he's been getting cooked. Quan Alexander, he's been really impressive against the run. But when it comes to pass coverage, I guess that's not really his strong suit. And Cole Holcomb, I thought one thing about him that would make him a big addition to the Steelers defense was what he was going to bring from a pass coverage standpoint. But the running backs, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren, those guys have been going off against these linebackers. They've been beasting and feasting on these guys in coverage. So that's a big concern. And the reason why this concerns me and why I don't really think that this is going to improve all that much throughout training camp is because your linebackers aren't asked to guard these running backs and receivers and coverage a lot of times okay majority of times when you have a running back like Najee Harris coming out of the backfield you kind of want to have a safety keying in on him anytime you have a linebacker in coverage you're not going to find too many great coverage linebackers in the league you're not going to have a linebacker that's just going to be a leader lights out in coverage too often you're just hoping for your linebackers to at least be serviceable in that department but the Pittsburgh Steelers linebackers, they haven't even looked like that in coverage so far throughout training camp. 
Jalen Warren, Najee, they've been going off against these linebackers anytime they match up against them and 1v1 drills when it comes to getting open on these passing routes, man. These these running backs, either they are really good at running routes and getting open in the passing game, or these linebackers, man, just still suck when it comes to their ability to contribute to the pass defense, man. So it looks like, once again, it may be another season where the Steelers struggle to get much from their linebackers and pass cover. Now, the secondary has been really shaky, but it hasn't been because there's no talent or guys are underperforming. It's been due to the injury bug that the Steelers have caught. Mika Fitzpatrick, KZ, Keanu Neal have been banked up throughout training camp. But the positive thing about that is that it's led to some guys getting some opportunities who've really been able to take advantage of it. Safety Kenny Robinson has been getting a lot of reps with the first team defense, and he's been making his presence felt. He's caught a couple of interceptions. He's been pretty good against the run. So I think that Kenny Robinson has pretty much solidified his spot on this roster. And I think at this point, he pretty much is competing for some legitimate playing time. You got Trey Norwood there who also has made a couple of plays. But Kenny Robinson, if we're talking about standout players up to this point in camp, you got to mention his name. You got guys who are missing time with injury, and you have a guy in Kenny Robinson who's making his presence felt, making the most of his opportunities. Standout players throughout training camp for the Pittsburgh Steelers up to this point. We got to start off with Darnell Washington. There were not a lot of great things being said about Darnell Washington after week one in training camp, but once we got the pads on and the chin straps got buckled on the helmet, this is where Darnell Washington started to make his presence felt. And Darnell Washington isn't one of those shorts and tank tops kind of players, man. He's not going to look good in those. He's a true football player, man. You put those pads on and you blow that first whistle and start the game, this dude is a monster. He's 6'7", 264 pounds, and he's been really good when it comes to run blocking. As a matter of fact, he's been so good in run blocking that he also has gotten the better of T.J. Watt in that department. T.J. Watt? Anytime he has George or anytime he has Darnell Washington blocking him, he kind of hasn't been able to have that big of an impact. And not just has Darnell Washington been a force in run blocking, but he also has been a force in the passing game. There was one clip when he was running a 1v1 route against one linebacker, and he just absolutely destroyed him. And there were some people who were asking, how fast just is this guy? Because he doesn't really look all that fast. Well, the reason for this is because you got to remember, this is a huge, colossal behemoth of a tight end. He's 6'7", 264 pounds. So anytime you have somebody that has this kind of length and this kind of size, it's going to kind of look like they're pacing or jogging out there. But if you see that thing in live action, that shit looks scary, fam. And if you see Darnell Washington running a seam up the middle, if you're Kenny Pickett, you throw that thing up. It doesn't matter if he's guarded or double team, man. He's one of those guys that you just got to throw that rock up and let him go get that thing, man, because there are not too many defensive backs in this league who are going to be able to beat Darnell Washington in 50-50 ball situations. How many safeties honestly have the kind of physicality 
to defend against Darnell Washington? How many linebackers even have the kind of skills to guard against a Darnell Washington in coverage? This dude is a mismatch. It doesn't matter who you put up against Darnell Washington. The matchup still is kind of in his favor. You want to put a safety against him? Okay, he's 6'7", 264 pounds. You want to put a linebacker against him? He's more athletic than the majority of linebackers you're going to put up against him. Darnell Washington is a monster, man. And I'm so excited to see what he does when the Steelers play their first preseason game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, man. I cannot wait to see this guy i get he's not a great route runner who cares that's what you got pat firemuth man it's crazy that the same knocks that people have about george pickens people are making these same you know statements when it comes to darnell washington you don't always have to be a great route runner just because you're a receiver or a tight end, if you are somebody who is physical and you can go up and win contested balls and be a good red zone target then you're going to be able to still be effective. You don't got to have elite route running. There are different traits that different players have that make them stand out from one another. Not every single player is regarded the best at their position because they have similar things in common. Everybody has a particular skill set that they thrive, that makes them thrive and succeed. And looking at how... Darnell Washington has been utilized in training camp so far. They're not asking him to go out there and run every single route on the route tree. They're asking him to run simple routes, seam routes, wheel routes, whatever routes that aren't too complicated, just to find ways to get him involved in a deep passing game, man. You got somebody with this size and athleticism, you don't need him to be extremely nuanced, man. You just need to find a way to throw him the football. Now, somebody else who has been really impressing me has been Jalen Warren. Jalen Warren, I think that he's going to end up having a bigger impact on his offense than what some Steeler fans may expect. I thought he was really good during the second half of last season. He has great hands catching the football out of the backfield, and he has a lot of juice when he gets the football. He's one of those guys that you give him the football, and he's a threat to take it to the house every single time. I think that he's faster and has more acceleration than Najee Harris. Najee Harris is the better overall back. But if you're looking for a good scat back and a good change of pace back, I definitely think that Jalen Warren is your guy. Anthony McFarlane also has been making some waves. Now, we know about Anthony McFarlane. He always gets a lot of hype going into training camp. But then when the pads come on, he kind of disappears. But He's been making some good plays in the passing game. He also has had a couple of decent runs also. So we're going to see if he ends up being that RB3 on this team and if he ends up getting a little bit of some work this season behind Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. This is it for my Steelers training camp update, man. Let me know if there are some things that I missed. If you've been in attendance during Pittsburgh Steelers training camp, let me know some of your observations that you have down in the comment section down below. Before we move on, if you haven't already, make sure that you like and subscribe to the channel. We go live every day around 5 p.m. Eastern time, Monday through Friday. Shout out to everybody in the chat. My guy JM2U Block says, JT, sup, homie? What's up with you, man? How you doing? Raw Walk, what's going on? JT, what's going on with you? 
Z Flowers has that dog mentality. Yes, he does. My man, Volcano says, what's up to you? Jamie Seven Towers, Steelers probably finished last in the AFC North this year. Division's brutal. I don't know, man. Shoot, I don't know. I don't know if the Steelers going to be finishing below the Cleveland Browns this year because I just don't have a good feeling about Cleveland this year. I don't know if Deshaun Watson is a good fit in Kevin Stefanski's system. And if the Steelers finish in last place in the AFC North, are they doing it with the losing record? Because Mike Tomlin hasn't had that ever. And this is a better Steelers team this season than what they had last year. And with Kenny Pickett making improvement and George Pickens set to have a breakout season with the talent that the Steelers have on offense and defense, I find it pretty hard to see this team finishing in last place in this division. I don't know who's going to finish in last place, but I know it's not going to be Pittsburgh. They may finish in third place, but somebody else is going to be finishing below Pittsburgh this year in the AFC North. Like I said, don't know who, but I know anybody but Pittsburgh is going to finish in last place in this division. Before we move on, do me a favor. Hit that like button and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And share the podcast on your social media platforms with your friends, family members, and acquaintances, man. We are trying to get to 100 five-star reviews before the NFL and college football seasons kick off. So go ahead, rate the JT Sports Podcast five-star reviews on Apple and Spotify, man. And give us a shout-out if you do so. We'll shout you out on our social media platforms as well. We love when people support the channel, man. And we need all the support that we can get if we're trying to crack 100 five-star reviews before the NFL season kicks off. What do you guys expect out of a veteran quarterback? Now, most of the times when you bring in a vet, you expect them to be really good taking care of the football, right? Well, Jimmy Garoppolo and Baker Mayfield, they've been in the NFL for a couple of years. So why is it that Jimmy Garoppolo and his first couple of training camp sessions for the Las Vegas Raiders has already thrown seven interceptions? In two training camp practices, Jimmy G has already racked up on the turnovers, man. And Baker Mayfield has done the same. Now, albeit, he hasn't thrown seven interceptions in two training camp practices, but he's thrown an interception in pretty much every single training camp practice that the Buccaneers have had. And Baker Mayfield has struggled so badly with taking care of the football that the gap between him and Kyle Trask for the starting quarterback job has greatly decreased and at this point they're kind of neck and neck and if you ask me I think that Kyle Trask has a little bit of the leg up and Baker Mayfield in this quarterback battle and the reason for this is because look Todd Bowles is what a defensive-minded coach and if you know anything about these defensive-minded coaches they hate quarterbacks who turn over the football defensive-minded coaches want to rely on their quarterback to take care of the football because the majority of times they want to have a very good run game and they want to lean on their defense. And in a situation like this, when you have a young quarterback in Kyle Trask who's taking care of the football versus a veteran who's turning over the football, you kind of have to go with 
Kyle Trask in a situation like this. Baker Mayfield, you bring him in because you think that he's going to be really good with being able to be a good man, a good game manager, being able to limit turnovers, not making a lot of boneheaded decisions. But it's been the polar opposite. And before you say, oh, JT, he's with a new team. You got to give him a little bit of a break. He's learning a new system. Kyle Trask is learning a new system also. And if Kyle Trask cannot throw seven interceptions up to this point, then so can Baker Mayfield. We got to stop making excuses. Kyle Trask has thrown only one or two interceptions up to this point in training camp. Meanwhile, Baker Mayfield has seven. Kyle Trask has less experience as a starting quarterback in the NFL than what Baker Mayfield does. Baker Mayfield has looked like the more inexperienced player throughout training camp for the Buccaneers than what Kyle Trask has. And for Jimmy Garoppolo, I ask you this, Raiders fans, has Aiden O'Connell or Brian Hoyer thrown seven interceptions in training camp in two training camp sessions? You see, when you have a veteran quarterback, you expect ball security to not be an issue. And if I recall, the reason why the Raiders had to move on from Derek Carr was because he didn't do a good job at taking care of the football. So I think it's a little alarming if you're a Raiders fan to see Jimmy Garoppolo doing something that you hated Derek Carr for. Derek Carr was a turnover machine last year for Las Vegas. So you go from him to Jimmy Garoppolo and there isn't really much improvement. And Josh McDaniels, he came out when he was asked about Jimmy G's turnovers and said that he's not concerned. I don't know how you can't be concerned. Maybe he thinks that Jimmy Garoppolo needs a little bit more time to settle down because he did have to miss a good amount of time due to that foot injury that he had to get a little bit of surgery on or something like that that kind of kept him out of OTAs and whatnot. So he could have a little bit of what I call the morning breath. And what the morning breath is, is when you wake up and, you know, you pull one of these and your breath smells really bad. For Jimmy Garoppolo, he has morning breath because he hasn't been able to participate in football activities for a while. So he's a little bit rusty. So he's kind of stinky right now. His Football skills are kind of a little bit rusty. Yeah, he's made some good plays. He's made some impressive throws, but the turnovers just kind of take all the good away. And he has looked rusty, and I will give him a little bit of some leeway. I'm not going to be unfair and expect Jimmy Garoppolo to come out guns blazing. If I'm going if I'm going to give Brock Purdy a pass for struggling his first couple of days back in training camp for the 49ers, I got to be fair and I got to do the same thing for Jimmy Garoppolo. I got to see Jimmy Garoppolo keep this up for at least another week for me to just completely hit the panic button. But this is a little bit concerning, though, because in two practices, dog, you already got seven interceptions. What the hell are you doing? Are you Jameis Winston out there? You just got tunnel vision. You just locked in on wide, on one wide out. And if he isn't open, you're just going to force it to him anyway. Like, I do not expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be having seven interceptions and it's been the two practices, man. And I was talking to my guy Spotlight. And he was saying that he isn't too concerned. Baker Mayfield had the same amount of interceptions also. But Baker Mayfield is in a quarterback battle. And Baker Mayfield isn't a good quarterback. And I've heard 
Raiders fans reference Patrick Mahomes when he was going into his first season starting having seven interceptions in training camp. But the difference between Patrick Mahomes throwing seven interceptions in training camp and Jimmy G having seven interceptions in training camp is that Patrick Mahomes was still a young quarterback. He only had started one game, which was the last game of the regular season during his rookie season against the Broncos. So he was pretty inexperienced. So, of course, there was going to be a lot of mistakes made by him because he was a young quarterback. You see, you can live with mistakes done by a young quarterback because you understand that's what's going to happen when you're starting an inexperienced QB. You expect seven interceptions out of a Kyle Trask or a young Patrick Mahomes, but you don't expect seven interceptions from a Baker Mayfield or a Jimmy Garoppolo, a veteran in this league, somebody who started several games and two quarterbacks who have both led their teams to the postseason in the past. And to be a playoff caliber football team, you got to do a good job at what? Limiting turnovers. Todd Bowles is a defensive-minded coach. You think he wants Baker Mayfield out there throwing all those interceptions? Kyle Trask has been outperforming Baker Mayfield, and he doesn't have anywhere near the same amount of experience that Baker Mayfield has in the league, and yet he's better at taking care of the football. Aiden O'Connell, Brian Hoyer don't have the same amount of interceptions in the span of two days that Jimmy Garoppolo has had. This is a little alarming if you're a Raiders fan. In Jimmy Garoppolo's case, you can buy him a little bit more time to get a little bit settled. But if you're a Buccaneers fan, there's zero excuses that should be made for Baker Mayfield. He's getting outperformed by Kyle Trask. This was supposed to be his job to lose, and he's losing it in a big way, not taking care of the football. And this has been a big problem with Baker Mayfield throughout his NFL career. He's really good when you utilize him on play action, bootlegs, you get him outside the pocket, you get him on the run. That's when Baker Mayfield thrives. But when you keep him inside the pocket and you keep him stationary and you force him to have to beat you from throwing the football from inside the pocket, that's where he struggles at. And we are seeing that in training camp right now with Baker. And for the Bucs fans that keep defending this and, oh, there's other quarterbacks throwing interceptions. These are young QBs. You cannot compare a veteran like Baker Mayfield to an inexperienced quarterback who doesn't have the same amount of reps as a starter like a guy like Mayfield has. Todd Bowles is not going to tolerate a QB who can't take care of the football. Defensive-minded coaches hate that. Defensive-minded coaches don't need incredible lights-out quarterback play. They just need a quarterback who can be a solid game manager and can take care of the football. And Kyle Trask is doing a way better job at that than Baker Mayfield, which kind of erases the veteran advantage that Baker Mayfield had going into camp. What was the thing that gave so many people confidence that Baker Mayfield was going to be the starting QB in Tampa this year? He had experience over Kyle Trask. And with experience, you expect a quarterback to have less turnovers. And Baker Mayfield hasn't done a good job at limiting the interceptions. Jimmy Garoppolo, I can buy him a little bit more time before I start hitting the panic button. But even then, you know, seven interceptions and two practices, 
I mean, I still think that's a little bit of cause to be concerned if you're a part of Raider Nation. Derek Carr was turning the football over left and right last year, and that was a large reason why you had to get rid of him. And you got a quarterback in Jimmy Garoppolo who already has seven turnovers, seven interceptions, and the span of two days at practice. Like I told you guys, when you first signed Jimmy Garoppolo, this was a lateral move. You did not get better at quarterback by signing Jimmy Garoppolo. Signing Jimmy Garoppolo was supposed to be an upgrade from Derek Carr because he was more familiar with Josh McDaniel's system. And he was going to be better at being more efficient with the football. And so far, he hasn't. And like I said, I'm going to give him a little bit more time, but it's just we're too... We go into two practices and you got seven interceptions. You don't mean to you don't mean to think that you, there shouldn't be a little bit of concern about that. You think that's just normal just to go out there and throw seven interceptions and two practices combined? There isn't something wrong with that if you're a Raiders fan. That doesn't sound a little bit sketchy to you. That doesn't sound a little bit worrisome to you. When you look at Derek Carr who had the same problems. You're looking at these struggles that both Jimmy G and Baker are having in training camp right now. Like I said, I got a little bit more patience for Jimmy G because of his injury situation. But for Baker Mayfield and the Baker Mayfield fan club out there, man, you got to stop making excuses for this kind of BS, man. This is a veteran in this league. He's played plenty of games. He should be way better taking care of the football than Kyle freaking Trask who hasn't even started the NFL game yet, man. The most experience that Kyle Trask has gotten is mop-up duty late in the season for the Buccaneers and in the preseason. He should be the one throwing seven interceptions, making the immature mistakes, not a veteran such as Baker Mayfield. Every single season, there's always a team that surprises everyone is exceeds expectations last year it was the new york giants and the seattle seahawks and this season i think that the washington commanders could be the nfl's sleeper team that everybody sleeps on that ends up making it to the postseason and washington has a really good roster you look at this receiving core with Scary Terry, Jahan Dotson, and Curtis Samuel. This is a really good trio of wide receivers. Their offensive line, it is a concern. But this offensive line has made some improvements. You bring in rookie center that I really like a lot, rookie Stromberg out of Arkansas. I think he could end up winning that starting center job. And you have Eric Enemy as your new offensive coordinator. And Eric Enemy. For those of you guys who don't know who he is, he was on Kansas City's coaching staff for the last couple of years. And he was somebody who had a little bit of an impact on Kansas City's success on offense that led to them winning two Super Bowls when he was on the staff. Now, the problem with Airbnb and why he's not a head coach is that people don't know how big of an impact he had on the Kansas City Chiefs offense, which is why him going to Washington and taking over the reins at OC is such a big deal because this is his opportunity to show the league that he has what it takes to be a head coach. And if this offense is successful, there's not going to be no questions about how much of a role he had in this offensive success like it was when he was with Kansas City. The argument when he was with Kansas City was 
well, yeah, we know he called plays at times, and yes, he did have an impact on his offense, but Andy Reid had a bigger impact because he was calling plays more than where Airbnb was, and that is true. So him being in Washington gives him the opportunity to prove himself. And if Airbnb is as good as a offensive mind and play caller like a lot of people on ESPN make him out to be, this offense should be the best that it's been in a very long time. You see, I think there is a misconception about the Washington Commanders. And that misconception is that this team has not a lot of talent and they're just a disaster waiting to happen and they're going to be tanking for a quarterback. No, they're not. This team last year went 8-8-1 eight, eight and one with an elite defense and subpar quarterback play. And if they never would have tried to reinsert Carson Wentz back into the fold at QB and they would have stuck with Taylor Heineke or went with Sam Howell for the remainder of the season, they probably could have ended up winning one more game and they could have snuck into the playoffs as a seven seed. The thing holding back Washington is their lack of offense. And with Airbnb calling plays now, that should be fixed. Sam Howell, there are a lot of question marks about Sam Howell, and rightfully so, because he has a really small sample size. The only game film we have with Sam Howell is what he did in the preseason last year and the one game that he started against the Dallas Cowboys, which he led the Washington Commanders to the win. But something that has me really confident in Sam Howell was that he had a really good preseason last year. And most of the times when you see a quarterback have a really solid preseason, that shows you that, okay, this is somebody who potentially could come in and be serviceable for us or maybe better. And we saw that in his first start against the Dallas Cowboys. And now with him having a better offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, he should be able to elevate Sam Howell's play. And Sam Howell, if you don't keep up with the draft or you don't watch a lot of college football, his final season at North Carolina, he was expected to be the first or second quarterback taken off the board behind Spencer Rattler. But his senior season, North Carolina didn't really have a good team around him. There were a lot of talented players that he played with the season prior that ended up departing and graduating. So Carolina just didn't have a great squad that season. And Sam Howell, his play kind of went down a little bit. Now, it didn't have a drastic drop. He was still really good. It's just that UNC just didn't perform up to expectations that season. And Sam Howell went from a first-round pick to a mid-round selection by the Washington Commanders. But you can find solid quarterbacks in the middle portion of the NFL draft. Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott. And if you can get Kirk Cousins or Dak Prescott out of Sam Howell in the NFC with the kind of team you have with this defense— there's no reason why you can't be a playoff team. You know, I think that the Commanders have the most underrated defense in the NFL. Say what you want to say about their offense, but ever since Ron Rivera has been the head coach of the Commanders, they've had a top 10 defense every single year, and yet nobody gives this defense the credit they deserve. You talk about some of the best defensive lines in the NFL, if the Commanders are not in your top five, are you really watching the games? They have two of the best interior defense alignment in the NFL and Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen, the brothers of destruction, as my guy Juan Gotti talking sports calls them. 
You got Chase Young coming back fully healthy. You got Montez Sweat off the other side. There is a lot of talent on this defensive line, especially when it comes to getting pressure on the quarterback. And they're going to have a really good secondary, man. Emmanuel Forbes has been lights out so far throughout training camp for the Washington Commanders. Cameron Curl, he's going to be a stud. There's a lot of talent on this commander's defense. And if this offense improves, this defense should improve because they're going to be on the field for way less offensive plays than what they were last year. You see, something that can hold back a defense is when you have an inconsistent offense because you put your defense on the field for more plays than what they should be and they get tired out quicker. Now with a competent offense or what we expect to be a competent offense, that should keep the defense off the field more. Airbnb changes a lot for this offense. When you have a good play caller, a good play caller puts good players in position to make great plays. That's something that this Washington Commanders offense has been lacking with their previous offensive coordinator. Airbnb is going to bring something fresh to this offense. He's going to bring a lot of creativity, a lot of motion, a lot of deception. I'm really excited to see what Airbnb does as the offensive coordinator in Washington. And this is one of the most not talked about storylines going into this year, man. We know about Aaron Rodgers, the Green Bay Packers, but we don't know about Airbnb and how he's going to turn out for the Washington Commanders. If the Washington Commanders make it to the postseason this year like I expect them to do, Airbnb is going to be the main reason for that. And you're going to be asking yourself, how the hell was Washington's offense this good? Because of the OC. The Washington Commanders, man, this is the biggest sleeper team going into the upcoming NFL season. This is a really good roster. This roster is not bad. And let's not act like the NFC East is just this easy division. There were three teams in this division last year that made it to the playoffs. The New York Giants, the Dallas Cowboys, and the Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys, we expect to be two of the best teams, not just in this division, but in the whole entire NFC conference and in the NFL. But you look at who could be one of those teams to end up getting that last spot in the postseason in the NFC? It very well could be the Washington Commanders. They have the kind of formula for being the team that could get that seventh seed. And when you look at the teams that get the seventh seed, they aren't the teams that are the most consistent. The teams that get the seventh seed are normally inconsistent. They have a lot of ups and downs throughout the year, but they normally get hot the last three, four games of the regular season. And that's what catapults them in to the playoffs. The Washington Commanders are one of those teams that has a great defense, enough talent on offense that they can get that seven seed. And the teams in the NFC that are going to be competing for the seven seed this year are probably going to be Atlanta, Carolina. Maybe you look at the New York Giants. They probably also are going to be in that conversation as well. I think the Commanders have a better roster than those teams. Your only concern on offense is really how this offensive line is going to look. This is a better roster than what a lot of people are giving it credit for. When I see people giving regular predictions for the 
the Washington Commanders and I see four or five wins, I look at them and I ask, do you just think that this team is a shit show? Do you think that the ownership change is going to affect this team that bad that Sam Howell is going to be incompetent? Ron Rivera is going to forget how to coach a very good defense? I mean, this is a fantastic roster in terms of teams that potentially could sneak in to the seventh seed. Washington currently has an over-under win total of six and a half wins. I think they very well should be able to get the seven. They went eight and eight and one with Taylor Heineke, Carson Wentz, and Sam Howell last year. And not having a good offensive coordinator with a true OC and a better play caller, this offense should be able to elevate. And this offense doesn't need to light the world on fire for Washington to be a playoff team. Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded coach. He's somebody that wants the offense to just be good enough, and he wants to lean on his defense. And this is a defense that is good enough to get you to the postseason. You just need at least an average to slightly above average offense to do so. The NFC is not tough. If you're worried about Sam Howell, I can understand that. But I do ask you this. Who are the best quarterbacks in the NFC? Behind Jalen Hurts, who else is behind them? Dak Prescott? Kirk Cousins? Jared Goff? Geno Smith? Derek Carr? These are quarterbacks that aren't really big needle movers. These are quarterbacks who are more good due to the talent that surrounds them. They don't really elevate a team all that often. So for Sam Howell... I mean, he just needs to go in there, take care of the football, do as ass of him and be better than what Carson Wentz and Taylor Heineke were, which the bar isn't set too high for that to be able to happen. Taylor Heineke, he had some moments when he came in and he provided a spark for the commanders, but he was never consistent. And Washington hasn't really had stability at the quarterback position since who? Kirk Cousins? I think Sam Howell... With EB calling plays this year, can finally bring some stable quarterback play to the Washington Commanders franchise. And this is the only thing that kept this squad from making it to the postseason last year. You say the New York Jets were a quarterback away, so were the Washington Commanders. And they had a better record than the Jets last season. Eight wins, eight losses, and one tie. If they have a slightly better QB... You mean to tell me you don't think they're capable of being able to win one more game and sneaking into the playoffs? I think the formula for the commanders this season is pretty set in stone. Airbnb, all he has to do is coach up an average to slightly above average offense, and Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio need to make sure that this defense continues to play at the level that it has had played at over the last couple of years. And this should be a team that should be able to sneak into the seventh seed of the playoffs this year and the NFC Conference. Now, I want to segue to this. Who do you guys think are the top five quarterbacks in the SEC going into the upcoming 2023 college football season? Man, now, Bryce Young is gone. So there's going to be a new number one quarterback in this conference. And before we get to... Number one, we got to start off with number five, Will Rogers for Mississippi State, man. The reason why I got him so low on this 
is due to the fact that he's going to be in a new offense. Yes, he is a veteran. He does have a lot of experience, and he's been one of the most productive quarterbacks in the FBS ever since he has taken over the reins at quarterback for the Bulldogs. But I don't know how he's going to fit in a new offense. You see, Will Rogers was perfectly tailored for the Mike Leach air raid offense. In a new offense, I don't know if he's going to be as efficient, but I still got to put him in the top five just out of respect for the body of work that he's put on display and how productive he's been over the course of his Mississippi State career. And if Mississippi State is going to be able to overexceed expectations, which there are many people who think that Mississippi State could end up winning less than six games this year with the coaching change, Will Rogers is going to be a big part of them being able to overachieve. And normally when you have stable, good quarterback play, you oftentimes are in the majority of games. If you don't have good quarterback play, you're most likely are going to get blown out if you're playing in a conference that's as tough as the SEC. Will Rogers has a really good arm. He makes really good decisions with the football. The only reason I got him so low is because I don't know how he's going to look in this new offense. Spencer Rattler comes in at number four. Now, the Rattler struck late last season his final three games for the Gamecocks last season were really impressive we all remember when South Carolina snatched the soul of Vol Nation when they not only ended Hendon Hooker season and ended their Heisman hopes for him but they also ended their college football playoff hopes for Tennessee as well and a large reason for that was because Spencer Rattler went off in that game he had six touchdowns and no interceptions and what's scary about Spencer Rattler is that when he's on and he's hot and he's cooking with steam this dude is one of the most talented quarterbacks, not just in the Southeastern Conference, but uh, in the whole entire world of college football. You got to remember that there was a time where Spencer Rattler was viewed as a first-round pick. And that talent is still there. The talent hasn't went anywhere. The problem with Spencer Rattler is the consistency. Can he keep up that same level of play and consistency that he had the final couple of games for South Carolina last year and carry that momentum over into this season? I think that's going to be the biggest question for determining how well Spencer Rattler is going to play. Are you going to get the same Spencer Rattler that you saw for the majority of last year that was inconsistent, made bad decisions with the football or are you going to get the South Carolina Spencer Rattler that went six touchdowns and no interceptions against Tennessee I think that Spencer Rattler can easily be one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC he easily could be the best quarterback in the SEC this year if he can put it all together he has the talent he has the arm strength he has the athleticism and he has the receivers around him that have success Juice Wells is one of the best receivers in the SEC this year. You got a really good offensive coordinator. You're going into your second year with the same offense. So Spencer Rattler should have a really good season this year, and that's why I put him at number four. You look at how well he played his final games of the season last year, especially in that bowl game against Notre Dame. I think if he's able to carry that momentum into this season, which I believe that he will, he should end up having a very good season for South Carolina. Devin Leary enters at number three. 
a lot of y'all are really sleeping on Kentucky this year. And the reason why I'm super high on Kentucky is because they got to upgrade at QB. Will Levis wasn't that good. I thought that he was highly overrated. And one thing that really irritated me about watching Will Levis was that he didn't do a good job at taking care of the football, especially in big game situations. Anytime the game was on the line and you needed Will Levis to make a big play for you to put you in position to win, he came up short more times than not. And the game that really pops into my head is that old Miss loss. You remember when he fumbled late against Ole Miss and that pretty much sealed the victory for the Rebels? Devin Leary is the complete opposite to Will Levis. He doesn't have Will Levis athleticism, but this dude is a way better quarterback than what Will Levis ever was. Before his final season at NC State last year, which got cut short due to an injury that he suffered, he was arguably the best quarterback in that conference. He had one of the best touchdown interception ratios in all of college football in 2021. 35 touchdowns to five interceptions. You're bringing that to Kentucky, which already has a really underrated group of wide receivers and Dane Key and Barry and Brown who are going into their sophomore seasons after playing as true freshmen last year. Both of those wideouts were four-star recruits coming out of high school. And with Devin Leary throwing them the football, he's an accurate passer with a really strong arm. Those guys should be two of the better wide receivers in this conference this year. And Devin Leary should be one of the best QBs in the SEC. You got Liam Cohen returning as your offensive coordinator after briefly spending one season with Sean McVay in the LA Rams. He comes back. This is somebody who has an NFL caliber system. And Devin Leary should be a really good fit in Liam Cohen's offense. And the last time Liam Cohen was the offensive coordinator for Kentucky, Mark Stoops had the most productive offense that he ever had with Liam Cohen calling the plays at OC. And with Devin Leary at QB, I think that he should greatly be able to benefit from having a OC with the kind of acumen that Leon Cohen has. And plus, this should also boost his NFL draft stock. He isn't the kind of athlete that Will Levis is. He isn't somebody that's going to move around and extend plays with his legs. But he's somebody who's going to do a good job when you give him the protection at being able to take care of the football and have a lot of production for you in the passing game. Good arm, very good accuracy, is really good when it comes to dissecting and reading defenses, things that Will Levis struggled with. He also has way better mechanics than Will Levis. I just think that Devin Leary is just a complete upgrade from what Kentucky had at the quarterback position last year. Number two, K.J. Jefferson. This may be... College football's most underrated quarterback. When you talk about some of the best quarterbacks in college football, I don't think that K.J. Jefferson's name gets brought up enough in those conversations. You're looking at the best dual-threat quarterback, probably right behind the guy who I got at number one in this conference. He has a lot of similarities to Cam Newton, Anthony Richardson, very good athlete, even though he's not the athlete that Anthony Richardson is, he's no slouch in that department. He isn't too far off. But one thing that gets overlooked about KJ Jefferson is his passing ability. This dude has had one of college football's best touchdown to interception ratios ever since he took over the reins as Arkansas starting quarterback. Last season, he had what? 
24 touchdowns only, four interceptions while completing 68% of his passes, along with nine touchdowns on the ground. This is one of college football's most efficient QBs. And he doesn't get brought up enough when it comes to the conversation of some of the best QBs in college football, man. He gets very overlooked. And Arkansas has a pretty good group of wide receivers. They're going to have a really good offensive line. You're going to have Rocket Sanders behind KJ Jefferson in the backfield. And Arkansas kind of could end up having one of those Cinderella seasons where maybe they win eight, nine games and make it to a big time bowl game. KJ Jefferson, man, very accurate, doesn't turn the football over that much, and he's a really dynamic runner with the football. This is one of college football's best dual threat quarterbacks. Number one, I got Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels, you talk about Bryce Young carrying Alabama, but Jaden Daniels low-key carried LSU on his back as well. LSU, their offensive line was not good last year. Their run game wasn't that great. As a matter of fact, Jaden Daniels, not only was he their best quarterback, but he was their most productive runner of the football as well. And you remember what he did and some of their biggest games last year against Alabama, Ole Miss, Florida. This dude did it all. He was the heart and soul of LSU last year. And if LSU is going to not only win the SEC West again, but potentially win the SEC Conference this season. They're going to need Jaden Daniels to do what he did last season and then some. He makes great decisions with the football. I think he's a pretty accurate passer. Sometimes he can be a little bit streaky at times during games, but you talk about the most productive and the most consistent quarterback in this conference going into this year. It has to be Jaden Daniels, man. You take Jaden Daniels off last year's LSU team, I don't think they go as far as what they did. He was pretty much the most consistent factor that Brian Kelly had. Anytime Brian Kelly needed a big play, he leaned on Jaden Daniels, and Jaden Daniels delivered pretty much every single time. Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback in the SEC going into this season, in my opinion. I think he carried LSU's offense a good bit last year, looking at how well he ran the football and how good he was in his first season at that LSU program. He had a similar season to what Bryce Young had the year he won the Heisman. Now, it wasn't as good statistically, but I'm just talking about from an impact standpoint, from an impact standpoint, you take Bryce Young off last year's Alabama team, and they probably have a couple more losses. You take Jaden Daniels off that LSU team, I think they probably only had six, seven wins. There were games where Jaden Daniels went in, and he just absolutely dominated. From opening kickoff to the final whistle blowing, his rushing performance really impressed me last season because I didn't even know that Jaden Daniels was this good as a runner. He had 885 rushing yards and 11 rushing touchdowns to go along with what he showed throwing the football through the air. And Jaden Daniels didn't have incredible numbers through the air, but he was proficient. So I'm a big fan of Jaden Daniels. I think he's the best QB in the Southeastern Conference going into the 2023 college football season. But these are my top five quarterbacks going into this season in the SEC. Let me know who you think I left off this list who should be included. 
who's too high, who's too low. Really looking forward to hearing the feedback that you guys have about my top five quarterback rankings for this conference. Before we move on to the last thing, I got to get a sip of water. If you haven't already, make sure you go ahead, leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Listen to the audio version of this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts from. You can find the JT Sports Podcast. Also, follow us on all of our social media pages. If you have a question that you would like featured on a potential episode of the podcast, you can send them in the DMs on Instagram at JT Sports underscore or on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore. Make sure that you go ahead and follow us on those platforms so you can be connected with the channel and also you can submit your questions to be answered on a future episode of the podcast. The last thing we got to talk about is this. How far do you think Notre Dame can go this year? Could they be a team that gets to the college football playoffs? Could they potentially be a national championship contender? And I know when you look at Notre Dame every single year, the first indicator that comes to your mind is, oh, they're overrated. JT, you remember what Notre Dame has done in the past? Anytime they go to the playoffs against the big boys, they get dominated. So what makes you think that Notre Dame is going to be able to be good enough to be a potential college football playoff contender? Or what makes you think that this team could only have maybe one loss this year? Well, I think the fact that you add Sam Hartman via the transfer portal from Wake Forest to your roster is a big plus. Sam Hartman has been one of the best quarterbacks statistically in all of college football, and he probably is the most talented quarterback that Notre Dame has had since probably Brady Quinn, which may be high praise, but I think it isn't that much of a hot take. The past quarterbacks that Notre Dame has had haven't really been that great. And last year, they didn't really get fantastic out-of-this-world quarterback play. As a matter of fact, Ian Book is probably the best QB that Notre Dame has had in over the last decade. Sam Hartman, being one of the best quarterbacks in college football, puts Notre Dame in a situation where there's not a game that they don't have a chance at winning. Honestly, anytime you can get good, productive, high-level quarterback play on a week-to-week basis, there's not going to be a single game that you're not going to have a shot at winning. And for Notre Dame, for them to potentially be a playoff team or a team that can get to a New Year's Six Bowl game with two or one loss, they're going to have to be able to beat some of the best teams in college football because Notre Dame doesn't have an easy schedule. If you say that Notre Dame has an easy schedule, you're being insanely biased. This is one of the most difficult schedules in all of college football. Notre Dame has a elite offensive line, one of the best in the nation, a great defense, and now you got Sam Hartman. This is a really good team. Now, are they going to be able to beat Ohio State? They do play them at home this year. I think they got a really good chance at doing that because Ohio State, you got to go on the road in a hostile environment with quarterbacks that haven't really played in a big game atmosphere on the road 
And we already know that Notre Dame, they have a really great fan base. They sell out their home games a lot. So I don't think that when you look at Notre Dame, they're not going to be able to get up for that game this season. Last year, I don't even think they played bad against Ohio State. I felt if they had better quarterback play, there was a good chance they could have won that game. Their defense was able to keep them in that game for a good while. So with Sam Hartman this season, even though Ohio State should be improved defensively with defensive coordinator Jim Knowles in year two with that program, I think that Notre Dame's offense this year is going to be insanely better given the fact that you have a better signal caller this year. The wide receiving core is a little bit of a question mark, but it's not for the typical reasons that you think. Notre Dame has a lot of talent at wide receiver this year. It's just that they don't have a lot of proven production at wideout this year. And when you got a good offensive line, you know that your run game is going to be really good and your quarterback is going to have a lot of time to throw the football, which is going to give these receivers a lot of time to get open. And I think Ohio State, a little bit of a concern for them is how good is their secondary going to be? We know how good they are up front, but their defensive line potentially could be neutralized with how good this offensive line is. So how is that secondary going to look on the back end? Which their secondary was their Achilles heel last year. What about Duke? Duke is a game that Fighting Irish fans probably look at and they say it's going to be tough, but we expect to win that game. Well, don't sleep on Duke. Duke is one of those teams that if you sleep on them, they can definitely upset you. They may not be more talented than you, but this is a team that isn't going to beat themselves. They're going to be well coached. And anytime you have a team that doesn't beat themselves and they're well coached, it's normally tough to beat them. And then you got to play them on the road in Duke. Now, Duke doesn't have a hostile road environment, but if Duke has the kind of season this year that they had last year or even better, I expect for that home crowd to be rocking. Louisville is a really interesting game for Notre Dame. This is probably one of the most underrated games on Notre Dame's schedule that a lot of you Fighting Irish fans probably aren't paying a lot of attention to. You want to know why? Because they have the upset master at head coach and Jeff Brom. You see, if Notre Dame is going to be a college football playoff contender this year, and if their ceiling is 11-1 or 12-0, they're going to have to not only just beat Ohio State and USC and Clemson, but they're going to have to avoid suffering some upsets. And Louisville definitely is the kind of team that could kind of alter your college football playoff aspirations if you sleep on them. Jeff Brom, you remember what this dude did at Purdue. If you don't, he has a winning record against top 25 opponents or at least a 500 record against top 25 opponents. This is the dude who was the head coach when Purdue upset Ohio State when he had Dwayne Haskins at quarterback. So there's a reason why they call Jeff Brom the upset master and you have to play them on the road. And Louisville is a really underrated team. This is the biggest sleeper team entering the ACC this year. They got a good quarterback out of the transfer portal from Cal. They got a pretty good roster. Even though it's year one for Jeff Brom, they probably could end up winning eight, maybe nine games. So this is going to be a really big test for Notre Dame and then after they play Louisville they got to play USC which is probably the second toughest game on their schedule right behind Ohio State 
Are you going to be able to slow down USC's offense? Are you going to have the secondary that's going to be able to slow down USC's wide receivers? Can your pass rush neutralize Caleb Williams, keep him from inside, keep him from getting outside the pocket and making a bunch of all-platform plays when things break down? You should be able to beat Pitt. I don't think Pitt's going to be that good this year. I think this finally could be a season where we start to see Pittsburgh kind of come back down to earth a little bit. But Clemson is another really tough game. Now, Clemson, you know they're going to be really good defensively. You know they're going to be really good up front. But offensively, we don't know what they're going to look like, even though they do have a new offensive coordinator. And the dude who was the former OC for TCU, Garrett Riley. So if that offense gets clicking, this game could be a little bit different for Notre Dame this year compared to when you blasted them last season out of nowhere and nobody saw it coming. So if Notre Dame is going to be a team that can make it to the college football playoffs this year, they got to be able to pull off some really big upsets, which they do have a chance at happening, but I don't think Notre Dame's ceiling is 11-1 and 12-0 and like I saw some Notre Dame fans commenting on my recent video that we did about Notre Dame a couple of weeks ago. I think that their ceiling is 10-2. I think if everything goes well, this is a two-loss team. And the reason why I say that is just because I just think they're going to lose one out of three of these matchups to either Clemson, Ohio State, or USC. I think they're going to lose at least one of those games. All right, I don't think they're going to go 3-0 against Ohio State, USC and Clemson, even though you do get the host Ohio State and USC at home, I think you're bound to drop at least one of those games. And if you win both of those games, I at least think you'll lose to Clemson. So I don't think you're going to go unscathed during the stretch where you have to play Ohio State, USC and Clemson on the road. And I also think they could suffer a small upset to a school like maybe a Louisville or Duke. I don't think NC State is going to be capable of being able to pull off the upset, even though they do have Brendan Armstrong at QB. I don't think they have a good enough roster. So I think Notre Dame probably could roster them to death and beat them by at least two, three scores. But playing against a school like Duke and Louisville, that's really well coached. Louisville has a good amount of talent. I think their offensive line could be pretty solid. That could be another potential upset for Notre Dame this year. So I just think, my ceiling for Notre Dame is probably going to be 10 and 2. Now, if they could end up going 11 and 1, 12 and 0, that would really surprise me. Because Marcus Freeman, that would show us that he has made a lot of growth in his second season compared to where this program was at year one under him. But I just think seeing this program go for go from where they were last year with the inconsistencies they had to just being an undefeated team or a one-loss team and making it into the playoffs, I really can't see that happening. I think the ceiling for Notre Dame this year is 10-2. and two. And if you're a Notre Dame fan, you're probably saying, man, JT, if 10-2 is a ceiling, I mean, what's the worst-case scenario? Well, the worst-case scenario is you could lose to Ohio State, USC, and Clemson. Those are all losable games. And I'm pretty sure you Fighting Irish fans agree. There's a good chance that you could very well lose to all three of those schools. But I would like to think that with the talent that they have on this team this year, and this being one of the better Notre Dame teams that we've seen in recent memory, they could at least win one out of three of those games. 
But I think they're probably going to lose to either Ohio State, USC, or Clemson. They're not going to go 3-0 during that stretch. And I think there's a good chance that they could end up suffering an upset to a Duke, a Louisville. I don't know if Pitt will be able to pull it off, but I'm not going to count out Pat Narduzzi. But my ceiling for Notre Dame is 10 wins. Now, if they go past 10 wins, that will really surprise me. And I would be wrong about Notre Dame. But what's your ceiling? For Notre Dame football and 2023, let me know down in the comment section down below. This is it for this episode of the JT Sports Podcast. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. If you haven't already, make sure that you leave a like, subscribe to the channel. We go live every day, Monday through Friday. We are in preseason. We're going to have some preseason previews tomorrow. Going to be telling you guys everything you need to know about week one of the NFL preseason this week. Of course, we're going to have some more NFL training camp updates, but you guys don't know how excited I am for this upcoming NFL season. Like, I strongly believe that this could be one of the greatest NFL seasons that we've had in recent memory because there were, there's a lot of uncertainty. You don't really know what to expect. Like, for example, the AFC East. For all we know, the New York Jets could end up being a massive disappointment. What about the Miami Dolphins? They could be really good if Tua stays healthy, but if he gets injured, you know, how bad could they be? What could be the floor for the Miami Dolphins? That could be another good video. What's the floor for the Miami Dolphins in 2023? If everything goes wrong for the Dolphins, how bad would they be? But I appreciate you guys for tuning in to this episode of the podcast, man. Like always, rate us five stars if you enjoy. Share this episode of the podcast with your friends, family members, and acquaintances. And I will see you guys tomorrow with another episode of the podcast.